All right. Evening, everyone. Merry Christmas. My name is Roy. We are a Jesus-centered, spirit-filled church. If you agree with me, go ahead and give me an amen. Hey, uh, I just wanted to share one funny story that I've heard recently. It has to do with a weary traveler and a man. See, there was this weary traveler trying to get back for Christmas. Classic. He's trying to get back to New York. He's all the way on the other side of the States. He's in California. And he cannot get back. So he's trying to find every connecting flight. Well, it's been about 18 hours. And he finally gets to Connecticut where he's about to get to New York. So he is exhausted, this weary traveler. He ends up getting out of the plane. He has a two-hour layover. He looks around and he ends up seeing coffee and donuts. He walks on over there, exhausted as he was. He buys the coffee and donuts. And then he ends up going to the seating arrangement. And he's looking around and it is packed at Dunkin' Donuts. And then he ends up seeing an open spot. You see, that open seat was across from a man who I alluded to earlier. He's exhausted. He goes over there. He plops down. He drops everything that he has. And then he ends up opening up his bag of donuts, and he has a coffee right there, or so he thinks. You see, the man who is sitting across from him sees that this weary traveler is exhausted. He's fumbling all over the place. So he doesn't, say, he doesn't hold it against him that that weary traveler didn't ask to be seated there at all. He just let it go. So the weary traveler, from his perspective, is sitting down. He's eating. He's trying to get energy. He has coffee. He has his sugar. He has donuts. And then he peripherals that man sitting across from him going in to the bag of donuts. And he looks over, and he sees the man smiling at him, grabs a donut, puts it in his mouth, and then looks away. And the man had to shake his eyes twice. Whoa, what was that? Am I hallucinating things? So then, after a couple minutes, he continues to eat the bag. And just in case he wasn't hallucinating, the weary traveler grabs his donuts, or so he thinks, grabs his donuts, brings it a little bit closer with his coffee, side-eyes the guy looking at him, and then he ends up looking to the left. And right when he turns back, that guy is fully extended over the table, grabbing the bag of donuts. He grabs one, smiles at him, eats it. And he thinks to himself, the weird traveler, oh, this is not a hallucination. This guy is stealing my donuts. So he says, oh, what should I do? What, what should I say to him? Should I confront him? I'm exhausted. Then he sees the man who's been taking the donuts, smiling at him the whole time. He stands up. And so the weird traveler thinks, okay, I don't have to say anything. He's leaving. But just as he is leaving, the man then reaches one more time into the bag of donuts, grabs one, chews it, smiles at him, gives him the thumbs up, and walks away. And this weary traveler thinks, am I going to have to fight this dude? Am I going to have to throw hands in this airport? And then right before he ends up getting into conflict with him, he looks at his watch and he realizes, I have to grab the connecting flight. So he ends up in a flurry. He grabs all of his stuff. He grabs one of his bags. He smashes the coffee. Uh, he throws away the bag of donuts. And then as he's walking back to the table, remember he's exhausted and has been hallucinating, he looks and sees on top of his carry-on bag his full bag of donuts. Let me explain. He is so exhausted that when he sat down, he thought the bag of donuts he was eating was his. It was really the man next to him. So when he goes back, he realizes, oh my goodness, I've been eating that man's donuts. And here's what I want us to learn from that. 
I want us to learn that that man thought that someone was trying to take, the weary traveler thought that someone was trying to take something from him, but in reality, it was a gift to him. And because of that misunderstanding, the weary traveler misses the gift that was to be experienced. In this room, there are those currently who are experiencing Jesus as a gift, and there are those who are not. There are those who are experiencing Jesus as a gift in this room, and currently there are those who are not. And just to get on the same page, I want to open up so that we get all onboarded onto how Jesus is a gift. Look with me, Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. As he, meaning Joseph, the father of Jesus, considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus. Here it is. For he will save his people from their sin. Can I get an amen? Amen. Jesus is a gift because he saves people from their sin. We belong. Let me backtrack us. We belong to God. Humanity did. And there was nothing between Adam and Eve, the first humans, and God. There was no relational distance, no conflict. And then things changed. Adam and Eve ended up disobeying God. And in their disobedience came consequences. And that was ever since then. Every single human being, man, woman, child, infant or otherwise, has been born with a condition. And that condition is sin. And sin separates us from the closeness that we can have, from relationship with our designer. You see, sin means to miss the mark. If this was the mark right here, then sin is what causes people to miss the mark. And the mark is God's morally perfect law. It's the way he designed each and every human to live. An example of this is the Ten Commandments. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't look upon the opposite sex with lust. And because we are conditioned to sin, it causes us to lie and miss the mark. It causes us to look upon another person with lust in our hearts. Sin causes us to miss the mark, and we are all sinful. We all have the condition. And here's the big issue that I want us to just recognize wherever our background takes us coming into these doors. Our sin is a massive offense towards God. The bad news is that our sin is earning something for us. And that is separation from God now. We're getting what we want now. If we don't want to obey God, we will stay relationally distanced from him. But it's earning a massive consequence after our last dying breath. And that is eternal separation from him after our lives. That's eternity spent away from him. That's also known as hell. This is the problem that we all have with God. And especially God has with us. And God could have let the situation be. He could, have set, he could have allowed us to just sit in what we wanted. But he cares too much for each and every one of us. You see, Jesus came and he did something about it. He came to rescue us. His name was Jesus. 
He ended up putting flesh on his body. He lived a perfect life, sinless life. He was tempted in every way, just as each and every one of us are. He experienced all of the human emotions from depression, from despair, all the way to gladness and joy, all of the above. If you've ever been betrayed by a friend, Jesus can empathize with you. He was betrayed by his closest of friends, and that's what ended up getting him put on the cross. And during all of those agonizing, difficult moments, Jesus remained sinless. He hit the target every single time, despite circumstances. And then here's the, the beautiful thing. He rose from the grave. More than 40 witnesses saw his appearance and validated that he truly was the son of God to come and restore humanity back to him so that anyone who would turn and give their life to Jesus would be restored. Amen? And it's not just that. It's that Jesus is a gift and that he gives us satisfaction. Jesus says in John 10, I came that they may have life, here it goes, and have it more abundantly. Jesus was communicating in this that following him will bring a more fulfilling and satisfying life than living a life apart from him. The abundant life that he's talking about is one full of love. That's the ability to sacrifice yourself and put the other people's wills, good wills in front of yourself. Joy, that's happiness regardless of circumstances. Does anyone know that we were made to actually experience happiness? It's just where we're going to find it, and it's found best in Christ. And not only that, he gives us peace, that abundant life. That is a rest, no, regardless of any circumstances. He gives us patience, the ability to wait on others. He gives us kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Believing that was the hardest thing for me for 19 years of my life. It was the biggest hurdle for me to get over to actually believe that following God is more fulfilling and satisfying than not following God. You see, I fell under the misconception that Christians are boring, therefore their God must be boring. For 19 years of my life, I thought that the Christian life would be boring because God was boring. And I was wrong. I was vastly, greatly devastatingly wrong. It's been 15 years since I made that decision to follow Jesus, and I've learned how wrong that I am. You see, by God's grace, I've allowed to accomplish some things. In high school, I got recognition enough to then go play for Nebraska in 2017, and that was a free education. I played well enough in Nebraska to get national relevance. I then ended up going to the NFL, getting drafted, and I made a good amount of money. I then married my bride a dime piece. That is a 10 out of 10 for you fellows and ladies who don't know what I'm talking about. She's a beautiful woman who loves Jesus. We have six beautiful kids, and all of those things fall short of the satisfaction of knowing Jesus. Every single one of them. As a matter of fact, my confession is I wouldn't enjoy those things unless I was experiencing delight and peace and knowing my creator. The word says that godliness with contentment is great gain. And that's not even close to scratching the surface of how much God is a blessing. 
You see, Jesus is a gift and that he restores us to a relationship with God. The best part of following Jesus is not all of the blessings that you inherit and bless the Lord that he gives it to us. The best part of surrendering to Jesus is that you get God. You get restoration, a closeness with God again, the way he was intended. And he adopts us biblically into his family. The word of God says that before someone comes to know Jesus as his savior, that that person is a spiritual orphan. But when he comes to know his designer and submit to his will, then he gets adopted into a spiritual family and you get a new daddy. A heavenly father, one that is far greater than any earthly father. He is a good, good father. I'm about to end up singing that good, good father song. I'm about to, the the Holy Spirit is taking over now. And if you wonder what it looks like, a relationship with God between you and a father, just look no further than a human relationship between a child and a good father. A child can ask and ask, and a father, though he may not say yes, though he may say no, though he may say wait, he will be there to listen. An orphan has not that. A child feels secure, an orphan does not. A child hears affirmation and identity and love, an orphan does not. A child feels seen and heard, and an orphan does not. The person who trusts God is the one who ends up getting a relationship with a new father. God is the greatest gift given to humanity. My question is if we've received it. My question is, are we experiencing it? And I want to take this moment, if you have experienced Jesus as a gift, I want to take the next 10 seconds And I want those who are born again, who've experienced Jesus as a gift, to give him a shout of praise and constant applause for 10 seconds. Go ahead. Thank him. Amen. Steve looking giddy back there. Steve's looking giddy. There are compelling reasons I just explained as to why Jesus is a gift. So why then, my question to us is, are we not currently experiencing him as such? Today we're going to cover historical Christmas events, and I want us to see two reasons why we may not currently right now be experiencing Jesus as a gift. We'll see this in the reactions of King Herod, and we'll see this in the reactions of the Jewish leaders to Jesus' arrival. I'm excited. Let's get into it. Verse 1, Jesus was born, hallelujah, in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the reign of King Herod. Here we're introduced to the first person that we're going to examine who does not experience Jesus as a gift. His name is Herod, and he was the Roman ruler over the area where Jesus is born. And he converted to Judaism. And so as we continue to look at it, we're going we're to shift real quick to get introduced to people who are coming who are experiencing Jesus as a gift, and then we'll head right back to Herod. Let's look. Verse 1 and 2 again. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. These men that are alluded to here are wise men, and they were most likely astronomers of their day. They're Jews who were once exiled from Israel and Judah and lived apart from the promised land 
uh, for previous generations. They would have been super familiar with the prophecies of the Messiah. And by the way, I want us to be aware of this. Scholars and commentators say they most likely were going through Jerusalem to get to Bethlehem as a light from heaven guided them. Because they wanted to be around the Jewish leaders who were anticipating, supposedly, and celebrating the coming of the Messiah. But that doesn't actually happen. Let's see why. Verse 3. King Herod, we're going back to him, was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Deeply disturbed. Deeply disturbed. King Herod is a convert to Judaism. He knows in head knowledge of the blessing of the coming Messiah. Yet once he hears that Jesus has arrived or is arriving, has already arrived, he's deeply disturbed. There's no celebration within him. Why? We got to ask. Let's read on. Verse 8, 12, 16. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And then he told them, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back, tell me so that I can go and worship him too. When it was time to leave, they, meaning the wise men, after they visited Jesus, returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. Herod knew all the blessings of the Messiah in his thought life, yet he didn't experience the Messiah as a gift. Why? It was because he was threatened. Because he was threatened, these wise men arrive. They tell him of another king, a child of a king. And instead of celebrating, knowing his Jewish backgrounds, knowing the old covenant scriptures, he is threatened about what it will mean for his reign. In other words, what it will mean for his life. Many of us are threatened, if we would admit it, by Jesus. We know that if we truly believe that he was real, we would be scared of the implications for our own life. We're threatened that him telling us what to do through the word of God will mean that we end up just being soldiers, robots, lose our personality, become bland, Whatever the fears or concerns or whatever we're threatened by, we're threatened for what this will mean for our current beliefs, for our family, for how we interact with people, who we interact with people, what we believe, what we talk about, how we talk about things, who we hang out with, and for what grudges will change or we will have to leave at the door because of Jesus' arrival. Those are all legitimate concerns. They really are. I once had them 15 years ago. And I'll address why you should give your life to Jesus, irregardless of those concerns. Just hang with me for a moment. We're going to jump back into the text, and we're going to look briefly at the religious leaders. And we're going to see a separate reason as to why people, you may be tonight, are not experiencing Jesus as a gift. Look with me, verse 4. He, meaning Herod, called the meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they, meaning the Jewish leaders, said. For this is what the prophets said. You see, the religious leaders, they know 
in their mind that the Messiah is to be born only five miles away in Bethlehem. But riddle me this, do they go and visit? No. The word of God, the Bible says that the wise men go and visit. They stay where they are. You see, they miss out on experiencing Jesus as a gift because why? They are indifferent, the second reason. They're missing out on Jesus being a gift because they're not opposed to him at this moment. They are indifferent. Christian, if you are, experiencing, if you are not experiencing Jesus as a gift, I just want to encourage you tonight. I know the hustle and the bustle can steal your joy in Jesus away. It happens every so often. But I want you to know that you're only a prayer away from experiencing him as a gift again. You're only a prayer away, a conversation away from wanting to spend time with him again. From having affections in your heart, love for God again. For you to want to want to enter into the spiritual battles once again. Only a prayer away. You just got to know this, child of God. That your father who saw you with loving eyes back then still sees you with loving eyes. And not a performance oriented mindset. And if you are experiencing and once you experience his goodness again. I just want you to know. Continue to worship him because he is worthy. To transition for those who are not currently experiencing the joy in Jesus, if you're not currently following Jesus, if you say that you've never followed Jesus, and I was one among you 19 years ago, your indifference is a gift in one way. It got you in the door. You weren't so threatened by God and what he would tell you today that you wouldn't even come in. But check this out. Your indifference will also keep you from following him. On one side of the spectrum you may think because you were baptized, confirmed in the church, you have great church attendance, and that you're a good person compared to everyone else who's worse off than you, that you don't got to follow Jesus. You really don't. My friend, I, I just want to say this gently. Jesus is not impressed with your goodness resume. He's not impressed with mine. If we were good enough, Jesus would not have to come and die for our sins. Amen? It is by faith in his sinless life that purchases us a relationship with him now and forevermore into eternity. And on the other side of the spectrum, some of you have come in and said, Pastor, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. I'm not good enough to become a Christian. I'm actually uncomfortable being in here around all these holy people. You don't know what I've done in my past. You don't know what I'm currently involved in, in the messes. I have too many issues. But friend, I want you to know, you're the exact person that Jesus came to rescue. <laughs> you and I both. Jesus says this in Luke 5. I, meaning Jesus, have come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who think, wait, wait no, 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 those who know they're sinners and need to repent. He came for the, quote, worst of us all. Jesus is not looking for perfect people. He was perfect for us, that we would be restored into a right relationship with him. My friend, stop being okay 
with living apart from Jesus. I know that he spoke to you somehow in your thought life. Maybe you never recognized it. Maybe in the low times and you thought about a God out there. Well, I just wanted you to know his name is Jesus and you're in here for a reason. He wanted you to hear about the hope that you can have of him. And I want you to know this from a preacher who's experienced new life in God. I want you to know you're missing out if you ain't surrendered to him. After 19 years of my life, the comparison is incomparable. God has a greater vision for your life than you will ever have. Check it out and see us with C.S. Lewis and what he said brilliantly. British author of the 1900s once said this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered for us. That joy is walking with God. Like an ignorant child who wants to go and make mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. That is life in Christ. We are far too easily pleased. There is no greater pleasure in life than finding it in your designer. His name is Jesus. And to experience Jesus as a gift for the very first time, I want you to know with clarity, you must be sorry for your sin. you got to know that you've offended the lover and designer of your soul. That you have kept him at arm's length for too often. you got to know that it's time and you're ready to turn away from running your life and all the selfish acts and what you thought was best for you, turning away from that thought process, and you must bow the knee to Jesus and surrender to him and say, God, I bow and I ask you to lead me in the opposite direction. And at that point, my friend, you are recognizing that the life you have lived has been good. It's been good. There are a lot of things in, in the gift of life before Jesus. A lot of accolades, a lot of praise, a lot of things that you could end up having in this box. Family, money, security, pleasures, entertainment. The world is your oyster for some people. And yet still, when you say, God, I'm done running my life, I'm ready for you, what you're doing in a spiritual sense is you are receiving the greatest gift ever known to man. And this gift is not just God himself. It is all of the blessings that go along with knowing him. So I want to give everyone an opportunity to know, if you haven't let Jesus run your life yet, to know if, there's, if, if you're close, to see how close you are to surrender. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. I want you to listen. I want you to track along. I do not want you to repeat after me. When I'm praying, if your heart resonates with every line and it's saying, yes, God, that is me right now, then I'll have more instruction for you after that. So go ahead with all of our eyes closed and heads bowed. Let's pray. God, I have offended you. I recognize you have been pursuing me. You came died and raised from the grave in pursuit of me. I recognize I have continued to look the other way. I'm sorry. I turn from the attitude of knowing what's best for my life. I want you. 
I don't care what it will mean for the future. I want you. Please forgive me of my offenses toward you. I want you. Please give me a new heart and fill it with you. People with your eyes remaining closed and your head still bowed. If you have any questions, I want to give you permission to meet with us in the back corner and ask those questions to me and any pastors that will be around there. But, but, but if that prayer was the attitude of your heart, my friend, you are ready to give your life to Jesus now. I'm going to pray this again, line by line. And when I stop, I want you to repeat it silently in your thoughts. Let's pray again. God, I have offended you. I recognize that you have been pursuing me. You came, died, and raised from the grave in pursuit of me. I recognize I have continued to look the other way. I'm sorry. I turn from the attitude of knowing what's best for my life. I want you. I don't care what it will mean for the future. I want you. Please forgive me of my offenses toward you. I want you. Please give me a new heart right now and fill it with you. Friend, if you just prayed that prayer with sincerity, God has put himself within your heart and you have a new father in heaven. You've been raised to new life and you are born again. You are a Christian to a real degree in all the sense of the word, a little Christ. Jesus, I wanna thank you for this new child of God. I wanna thank you for the exercise of their will to surrender to your goodness. Make them feel you as a gift tonight and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.